Minnesota City Speaks. Welcome to another episode. Uh, it is December. It is almost the end of 2021. Whoa. Feels weird to say that. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm excited for... I say that a lot. I'm excited. But you're but a very excitable I'm person. I'm always an excited person. <laughs> but legitimately, I told somebody this the other day. I am big. Maybe I told you this. It, I was I'm like, it was big me. big on goal setting and like the beginning of the year is a good fresh start, but I've never been this excited. I think, I mean, we make, we make fun of 2020 being a dumpster fire, but so was 2021. It was like 2020 was the dumpster fire. 2021 was like cleaning up all the fires collectively. And that wasn't even done. But being told that, you know, like, Get back to work. Get get your stuff done, everybody. And I'm like, I'm still cleaning up the dumpster. <laughs> Very true. Anyway, welcome to welcome to another Soda episode, Seeds. the last one of the year. Yes. What's your name? What's my name? Yeah, we have to introduce ourselves. Oh, I'm Dylan Gunnels, joined <laughs> by my co-host. Oh, it's Amara And we have another awesome episode. We have finally come to a close with the election season here in Columbia, South Carolina. A whirlwind, to say the least. Such a Um, whirlwind. Gave us plenty to talk about, though. And because of that, we are excited to say that, of course, today we'll jump into headlines. Um, We'll get into the fizz. I'll let Ome talk about the fizz a little bit. And then um, we have an in-depth conversation with Chris Trainer from the state. From the state, Where the we famous. recapped the election and uh, walked through all the nitty-gritty and tried to pick his brain about why did it happen and how did it happen that way. All that fun um, stuff. And then we end, as always, with our community listings. So shall we jump into it? Let's do it. All right. Here are your headlines for the month of November uh, in Columbia, South Carolina. 15-year-old CEO Gabby Goodwin, a freshman at Spring Hill High School, is opening her first retail store and girls' salon on Bush River Road. Her company is called Confidence, and it will fill orders for its patented Gabby bows and girls' plant-based natural hair products. Congratulations, Gabby. A fuel spill in downtown Columbia turned a creek that drains into the Congaree River bright red, sending the odor of petroleum wafting through a park and past a riverside observation deck. Cleanup crews were working to contain the spill before any fuel reached the Congaree River. About 800 gallons polluted the unnamed creek that winds through Memorial Park and past the Gervais Street Bridge. It was not known if any of the fuel has tainted the river, but Congaree Riverkeeper Bill Strangler said preliminary cleanup work appeared to have prevented that. The restaurant chaininess map, which was made by a lab at Georgia Tech Center for Spatial Analysis and Visualization, has come out. And we took a look at the restaurants in Columbia in comparison to some other cities. The map scores cities based on the number of other restaurants that share their name in the U.S. So in essence, if a local restaurant was opened, it would get a score of 1, but a McDonald's would get a chaininess score of over 10,000. On the map, you can see that the darker red dots are chains and the yellow dots are independent restaurants. Columbia Metro gives the total number of restaurants pictured in the area as 1,405 restaurants with a chaininess score of 1,533. Compared to Charlotte, who has a chaininess score of 1,186 out of 2,533 restaurants. Looking somewhere up north like Boston, the scores start getting lower, 615 out of 7,737 restaurants. In essence, Columbia has a higher chaininess score than both Charlotte and Boston combined. 
And I wonder, Dylan, I'm going to um, editorialize a bit how diverge, that... Diverge, diverge. <laughs> we need a little um, <laughs> sound bite for that. But how that is going... To, is our chaininess going to go up or mm-hmm. down with our new business-minded mayor that's coming um, in into office in the beginning of the year? Um, we all know that he's very big on businesses and supporting businesses and supporting small businesses, mm-hmm. as he says. But what will that look like in terms of um you know our chaininess what a weird uh name <laughs> but our chaininess score yeah. um i really do hope that it does go down and that we do see we that we do see genuinely um more small businesses having the opportunity too. to open up i do too I, i'm hopeful because when he was here with us he talked a lot about divine street which is i think 94 96% small businesses mm-hmm. Um, and he pointed to that a lot and talked about small business, him being a small business owner. So I think and hope that that's what he'll push. Um, but you know, I mean, we're diverging a little bit here on the headlines, but I think it it is a deeper rooted conversation about equity and about food access and about poverty. Um, because unfortunately you see a lot more chains, uh, in areas that are considered food deserts or mm-hmm. um, have lack of access to those adequate resources. Um, and then, of course, you have places that are just filled with business, you know, like business districts mm-hmm. that are very chainy. Um, chainy. So chainy, I, chainy, I, chainy. I uh, when I read this study, I was not surprised because mm-hmm. um, that's mm-hmm. one thing that I've never loved about Colombia is how many chain restaurants and just chain stuff <laughs> I don't know the right word. Um, so I wasn't surprised, but I do hope that as we grow, that we grow the right direction. And I mean, just another side note. I don't know if Divine Street is the best example. They're very, very boutique style mm-hmm. small businesses, very expensive, very white. Yeah. I mean, this is the neighborhood that I live in, and I never frequent anything on Divine Street mm-hmm. because it's just, yeah, it's not the style of small business I want to see in this city. So. Yeah. All right, moving on. If you're flying this holiday season, make time to view the Art in the Airport exhibit at the Columbia Metropolitan Airport. Now featuring local artist Harold Bram, the initiative celebrates and recognizes talented local artists while also providing a beautiful welcome to travelers visiting the area. If you're single and ready to mingle this holiday season... (laughs) That's awesome. Single and ready to mingle. Post-COVID mingling. Yes, I'm sure there's a story I was to so ready this. for that, and you just... <laughs> I'm sorry. I had my radio host <laughs> voice on. <laughs> anyway, if you're single and ready to mingle this holiday season post-COVID, then you're in luck because Columbia has ranked 21st overall out of 182 cities in the country uh, for finding love. This study was done um, and pulled together. It was done by Wallet Hub compared more than 180 U.S. cities across 32 key indicators of dating frequency. Um, That went from a range of the single population, the online dating opportunities, all the way to the average price for a two-person meal and the opportunities for fun and recreation in the city. So... I Number twenty one, because I am a love import to Colombia, <laughs> but you found love in Colombia. I found love in so. Colombia. Some of the other cities. Number one, we were just talking. Interestingly enough, was Madison, Wisconsin. So, um, so if you're looking for love up there, 
Um, but then, of course, Seattle, Washington, Portland, Oregon, Denver, Colorado, Austin, Texas, and San Francisco, California. So, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> but glad to that glad enjoy that we're the on holiday list. season, looking for love. <laughs> and that brings us to the end of our headlines credited to Cola Today, the State, and Post and Courier. And now it's time for the fizz. And on this month's fizz, since it is that elusive month of December, I don't know why I called it elusive. It's like the scary month of December. Why is it scary? I love it. I know. I love it. I love the holiday season, but you're like, oh my God, it's 2022. Like it hits you. But we thought we would do a year in review. Yeah. So take a listen to some of our top headlines from over the year of 2021. But just a note and a caveat that it starts in March 2021 because that's when this podcast started. So here we go. Okay, but wait, before Mm -hmm. we do the year in review, can we just take a moment? Let's take a moment. We launched this in March. We did. Yeah, we launched in March. And we did 10 episodes because we did two in October. Yeah, Nine months we've been together. That's amazing. We found love in Colombia. <laughs> One year anniversary coming soon. Anyway, we're wacky today. I'm just so excited because this was a concept. Are you excited, really? This was an idea. God, I said it again. <laughs> well, I'll keep excited. You keep hat in the ring. <laughs> this was really, this was a concept, though. It was a conversation, and here we are. So thanks to you all for listening, for sharing, for being sharing. a part of it. And I'm telling you what. Enjoy the recap, but I'm really excited for for 2022. We've got some exciting stuff. We really do have some exciting stuff. And we will um, bring you some highlights of what that's going to look like on our Facebook and in our Twitter and our Instagram. So do follow us and see what we have in plan for 2022. Here's the fizz. 60 years ago in 1961, about 200 mostly black demonstrators gathered at the South Carolina State House to protest segregation. Another 200 to 300 people observed from the periphery. The students were warned by police to disperse within 15 minutes or face arrest for breaching the peace. They did not, and they continued their protest. On the exact day of the event's 60th anniversary, March 2nd, the Columbia Rally was commemorated with a gathering just across from the South Carolina State House, where a historic marker and stone monument were unveiled. The protest prompted a legal challenge that reached the Supreme Court, which in an 8-to-1 decision ruled in favor of the demonstrators. The Supreme Court determined that South Carolina had infringed on protesters' fundamental rights to free speech and assembly, as well as their freedom to petition for redress of grievances. You may have noticed a bit more color on Columbia building walls over the last couple of weeks. It's the result of a $50,000 effort by Columbia's nonprofit Parks Foundation that commissioned four new murals across the city. They are one on Main Street, a 300 by 600 foot mural at the corner of Washington Street that depicts the former downtown Black Business District, which honors the themes of entrepreneurship and business opportunity. At Hyatt Park in North Columbia, a mural depicting several prominent Black citizens, including educator Septima Clark, civil rights activist Benjamin Mack, and journalist and TV personality Listervelt Middleton. At Woodland Park off Gardner's Ferry Road, a mural depicting Sarah Mae Fleming, an African-American Eastover resident who, in June 1954, took a seat in a whites-only section of a segregated city bus. 
She was attacked by the bus driver and eventually filed a lawsuit against the owners of the bus company. The Fleming incident happened more than a year ahead of the much more popular Rosa Parks bus incident in Alabama. And finally, in Valencia Park in Rosewood, a mural depicting young African-American students integrating schools in Columbia in the 1960s. On Tuesday, May 4th, the City of Columbia City Council unanimously approved the first reading of an ordinance that would ban the practice of conversion therapy on minors within the city limits. Conversion therapy, also known as reparative therapy, has been deemed ineffective and even harmful by the American Psychological Association and the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry. The ordinance has now been placed back into executive session as members of council face pressures from conservative religious circles, even though the ordinance does not affect religious institutions. At this time, there is no clear timeline as to when an official vote will take place. Last week, John Sims, the black artist in residence at the 701 Center for Contemporary Art, was awoken and detained by Columbia police in his provided apartment in the middle of the night. Sims was detained for approximately eight minutes and handcuffed inside his apartment at the 701. Body cam footage shows four officers entering the center, looking around the building and checking doors. They don't announce themselves again until they find Sims' unlocked apartment door. They yell for anyone inside to come out with their hands up. Sims yelled out, what's up, when they reached the living room below his lofted bedroom. Officers shouted out to see his hands. Sims asked officers for identification, which they ignored. Officers climbed the stairs and ordered Sims to face the wall and tell him to stop resisting as they handcuffed him. Sims told them that he's an artist in residence, but the officers say they don't know him and that the door was open and alarm went off. Sims said that he had feared neo-Nazis or the Ku Klux Klan had come to do him and his exhibition harm when he first heard someone coming towards the apartment. Sims' exhibit at the 701 CCA spans 20 years of artistic work fighting the symbolism of the Confederate flag by recoloring and recontextualizing it. He was an artist in residence at the 701 in the month of May. Columbia local Brian Thomas has opened the dollar store at 3017 Farrow Road near Prisma Health Richland after recognizing a need for a locally owned dollar store in the community. Brian sells snacks, drinks, and household essentials and asks his customers what else they'd like to see him carry. The University of South Carolina has launched its second search for a new president in two years. The state newspaper outlined six tasks USC's next president needs to accomplish. A few of the tasks include create stability and re-earn the trust of the faculty, alumni, students, and residents of the city of Columbia. Embrace activism, including the student and faculty-led push to rename buildings named for racist, slave owners, segregationists, or people who benefited from slavery. Finally, confront the allegations that USC failed to appropriately respond to reports of sexual harassment. Richland One School District will have a special election to fill a newly vacant board seat, but when it's going to take place and how much it will cost remains unknown. At an August 10th meeting, the board authorized its chairman to negotiate election terms for replacing Commissioner Yolanda Anderson with state officials. 
Anderson notified of her resignation in the middle of her first term on August 2nd, saying it was effective immediately. But that was kept secret until the Post and Courier obtained a copy of Anderson's letter on August 9th. Anderson wrote she was moving out of the district. Governor Henry McMaster and SC Department of Transportation officials announced a plan to use $360 million from the Federal American Rescue Plan funding to accelerate the widening of the I-26, you know, that area that we call the malfunction junction. The accelerated timeline would speed up the project by at least six years. The Post and Courier has obtained an investigation that revealed widespread misconduct at a fire station in Lower Richland. Firefighters for months chased each other naked through the hallways, spanked co-workers in the shower, and pinned down fellow employees to perform a variety of unwanted sexual acts. That is actually sexual assault. The inquiry, which led to the abrupt firing of five of the firefighters in May, found that supervisors at the Columbia Fire Department's Lower Richland Station condoned and sometimes even joined in on the pranks, hazings, and harassment. The male-dominated station's unprofessional workplace drove a handful of firefighters to seek reassignment and came to a halt only after one abruptly walked off the job in April, sending a text that sparked the investigation. A professor accused in three lawsuits of sexually harassing a University of South Carolina student and two faculty members will resume teaching at the school in the spring. Two of those lawsuits filed against painting professor David Voros are still pending. One lawsuit was settled for $75,000. The university put restrictions on Voros that prevented him from coming to campus and engaging in person with students, but since his teaching next semester will be online, it does not officially violate these restrictions. According to the Carolina News and Reporter, Voros will also be receiving a 13% raise, coming out to more than $10,000 more than his 2021 salary. The group Fire Voros USC, a movement of students working to fire abusers at the university, has renewed their calls to USC to fire David Voros and overhaul their handling of abuse on campus. More than four months after resigning as president at the University of South Carolina amid a plagiarism scandal, Bob Caslin's emails leading up to his last days as president have been released through a freedom of information request by the Post and Courier. In those emails, he called USC the most hostile community he had ever encountered and commented that coming to USC was the biggest regret of his life. Twitter responses from Columbia residents and USC students, staff, and parents say the feeling is mutual. The University of South Carolina community was outraged after it was reported that art professor David Voros would be allowed to teach online classes at the university in the spring. As a result of this outcry, university administration determined it was not tenable to have Voros teaching in any form. The same applied to theater professor Robert Richmond, who a female student said sexually harassed her in 2017. And welcome back. Now it is time for our main interview, and we're just about done. I promise you, this is the last time (laughs) we're going to talk about the Columbia elections. 
but it was a ride. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the first time in, I think, 10 years, 11 years, 12 years, something like that, that we've had a real competitive election in the city of Columbia uh, for mayor. And um, so it was, you know, it was interesting to watch. It was really exciting to be a part of that um, and bring you analysis every month and candidate interviews. So we're going to uh, speak with, I think, our, you know, most prolific city uh, politics reporter, uh, Chris Trainer. Uh, who sat down. We had a lot of fun. He's such fun. a great guy. Yeah. So much fun to talk to. He's very pensive and thoughtful. Uh-huh. And um, we asked him what he thought of the election and how he broke it down. He does. He um, He's the type of guy that you can tell he's thinking mm-hmm. before he opens his mouth. Mm-hmm. So like we would ask the question... And there was a good moment of, and you could see it in his face, you know, he's pondering. I appreciated that because all of his answers were thoughtful um, and provocative in good ways to think more. Like I thought I was pushing him (laughs) in some ways and he pushed back in some ways to make me think a little differently too. And um, yeah, I just think we're very fortunate in this city to have him as a reporter. Now we did learn uh, that day that he has moved to a different beat. Um, you know, but already doing an excellent job on yes. that beat. Like he's bringing us that story about the brewery um, in the Lutheran Church out there. Is it West Columbia or was it Casey? Um, I think that was in Lexington. Okay, sure. Lexington, somewhere out there. I mean, yeah. I'm I, I, not too sure what Lexington is, and I can't tell the difference between Casey and West Columbia. So <laughs> there you go. We'll take I'm you a on snob. a tour. <laughs> And we'll do a podcast episode. Ome Ooh, learns is... the Midlands. Ome learns the Midlands. Put it on the list. Twenty twenty two. Anyway, we're so rambling, he's already doing but, some excellent yes. reporting on his new beat. So yes, look out for is. Chris Trainer and his new beat. Uh, but for now, listen to what he says about the Columbia election. Here we go. We're joined now with Chris Trainer, who uh, works for the state newspaper. He used to be the city reporter, but has just recently, I think, what did you say, yesterday? Yeah, just in the last couple days, yes. He moved on to the retail beat. Um, so we're really excited to have the famous uh, Chris Trainer with us to kind of deconstruct uh, the election um, in the city of Columbia uh, that, you know, passed us by and might we might have forgotten about it, but... Uh, you know, it's there and it needs some analysis and I think it warrants some analysis. So, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, glad to be here. Absolutely happy to talk about it. I, As you stated, I covered the city beat in Columbia for some nearly eight years between the, the Free Times Post and Courier and then later with the state. And I covered this election all year long. So I'm happy to talk about it. So let's start with that. You have been covering this election. I mean, you said eight years you've been covering the city. So you came in just after uh, the last quote-unquote big election um you know this is the first you know real election we've had in this city in 10 years since mayor benjamin was um elected so can you tell us a bit about like how that felt your experience with covering that because it was it got wild at some points yeah absolutely yeah it was the it's the first contested mayoral election uh the first contested mayoral election you know i covered in the city uh, back in 2017, Mayor Benjamin didn't draw an opponent, um, as we know. Um, <clears throat> and uh, just before I arrived in 2014, he uh, had handily defeated Mo Badura in a um, in a race. <laughs> no offense to Mr. Badura, but that was that was a, a, hand, a handily defeated um, uh, race. You know, in this one, to me, it's a tr- it's, it was a transformative race because you have Mayor Benjamin and a popular mayor of three terms. 
and the city's first and only thus far African-American mayor, stepping aside. Um, the council itself is set for a big makeover now. Um, there'll be mm-hmm. three new people, Joe Taylor, uh, Oddity, Srivastav Bustles, and um, Tina Herbert, three brand new members coming onto the body, plus uh, a new mayor, you know, Mr. Rickman, switching from um, a council member to mayor. So you got four new positions and three new members. And um, so, of course, we didn't know all that throughout this year, how it was going to shake out, but I f- thought this was going to be a transformative type election um, as to where, you know, as to where things go in the next four years. And um, certainly it turned out to be a uh, spirited mayoral race <laughs> between four uh, yeah. Four candidates, including Mr. the aforementioned Mr. Badura, uh, <laughs> Daniel Rickman, Councilwoman Tamika Isaac Devine, and of course, uh, at one point, Sam Johnson, who was the aide to, to Mayor Benjamin for many years. So yeah, that's uh, it, you know, it meant a lot to 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 be able to cover it and to tr- to try to keep up with everything that was going on from campaign finance to accusations to. Um, tangible issues mm. um and we tried to keep up with that all year so let's can we go uh district and then at large and then mayoral Are sure you okay if we kind of go up from yeah there? yeah no so, no you, you go right ahead um <clears throat> you know district one uh, district four of course won't take any time because that was unopposed yeah, yeah, um sure. but district one i just was curious you know I live in District 1 myself. I interacted a lot with both of the candidates that were running, interacted with neighbors and community members talking about it. Um, I was close. It was. I mean, it was, what, 300 votes. Yeah. Um, Was there anything that that was telling to you or anything as you covered District 1 specifically? Um, I think that Ms. Herbert probably thought that she was going to win by a a higher margin. I don't Um, know what Ms. Herbert thought Chris Trainer did. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I thought she, and that's no, that's no offense to Miss Williams. Yeah, uh, Krista Williams was the, for those that don't know, Krista Williams, a state uh, <clears throat> Department of Corrections officer and uh, National Guards uh, guardsman, um, was opposing Tina Herbert, the attorney and former longtime city employee, mm-hmm. uh, well known across the city. Um, Tina raised the most money by far. Uh, Tina was a known political force in the city already. Um, and Krista was sort of a political unknown. And so, yes, yeah. I, I ultimately was surprised it was as close as it was, except for this. I took note uh, throughout the campaign that Miss Williams ran a very uh, sincere campaign. She came off on the stump as uh, engaged, sincere. There, was, there were no overt out front attacks in that race. I mean, I don't know what might have been going on behind the scenes, but to the public, yeah. there wasn't uh, that wasn't a nasty race by any means. Miss um, Williams worked hard and was on every street corner, you know, holding up signs and shaking hands, kissing babies, and doing the whole thing. <laughs> you know, she. But ultimately, you know, I think Tina's uh, history already with the city, um, also a very well liked person who came off strong on the stump. Um, helped her. She was also endorsed by right from the get-go from Mr. Davis, who mm-hmm. served some 23 years on the right. council. Um, and that, I think, probably helped carry the day for Tina, um, ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, did you feel like 
I guess it just came down to retail politics is what you're saying because yeah. it seems like Krista I mean and I had that same encounter she knocked on my door yep. she I came in contact with her again when I was walking my dogs I mean you cannot deny that she was out right. talking to folks yeah but I wonder too did turnout have anything to do with it it seemed like turnout though was at a a standard rate yeah. for a municipal election so that's hard to argue too Turnout, yeah, turnout could have had because keep in mind that race was just one on one and decided on the first round of voting, never right. on the second. So, <clears throat> turnout likely did have something to do with uh, the closeness of that. Um, as stated for the mayor's race, you know, perhaps turnout in the di- in District One and other areas in North Columbia wasn't as high mm-hmm. as it mm-hmm. might have been. Um, and so, when that happens, you get close races. Yeah. Um, especially between two first-time political candidates. Mm-hmm. You know, even though Tina's got a track record working at the city and had been endorsed by Mr. Davis, she's got no elected track record. True. So, um, yeah, you get two first-time candidates with low turnout, um, <clears throat> and you can you can have close races. Yeah. Speaking of first-time candidates, now let's move on to the at-large race, sure. which I think was maybe the biggest kind of wild card oh, in absolutely. the race. And... Um, seven candidates started off. Yep. I I mean, we spoke to all of them. I don't know if I could remember all of them. We spoke to almost well, all of them. We didn't even get to all of them. We, some of them didn't respond to yeah. our yeah. request. There, there were so many that we had non-responses. Yeah. Yeah. But um, so I, I guess in terms of like kind of the bigger contenders, we had obviously Aditi Bustles and Tyler Bailey who moved on to the runoff. Sure. Uh, but in a close third was... Um, Heather Bauer. Heather Bauer. <laughs> and yep. then after that was Dietrich Stover Matthews. Yes. So the four of them, I think, were really kind of the, the, the you know, the prime candidates. Yes. Um, we knew that it was going to, I guess we knew, we knew, Dylan and I, and I'm wondering if, if Chris Trainer knew or thought that it would come down to Aditi and Tyler. I did think that it would come down to Miss Bustles and Tyler Bailey um, in the end. I thought that perhaps Miss Stover Matthews could crash the party. Mm-hmm. Uh, that ultimately didn't end up being the case. In fact, Heather Bauer uh, finished third. And, you know, Heather, Heather, who I like very much, but she, she struggled fundraising. Uh, it's another one who worked hard. She's, mm-hmm. uh, she's, she was a, she's ran for a uh, state house before and mm-hmm. ran for this. She's been running for two years for two different seats and was a door knocker and a handshaker, and she yeah. did a lot of retail politics. So that probably helped vault her into a, a close third. Um, but yes, I did think that that field would come down to, um, Oddity Bustles and Tyler Bailey. They'd both raised, that was number one, number two in fundraising the whole time. Um, you know, quite frankly, Miss Bustles ran a, um, very smart campaign in terms of a winning campaign. Um, in my opinion, in, in the city of Columbia, keep in mind these are, uh, you know, allegedly nonpartisan seats, <laughs> you know, um, she ran strong on some, uh, I would say liberal social issues while at the same time, uh, hammering home some conservative fiscal side, you know, had some support from certain businesses and such. So I knew she, I knew she'd be there. Uh, Mr. Bailey, meanwhile, uh, extraordinarily charming on the stump had some good bread and butter issues about public safety um, and economic development. Uh, you know, his parents are pastors of a prominent church here, mm-hmm. and, I, and, I, and I knew that 
they could rally support there and in in in, in the uh, the church community. Uh, I think that proved to be true. Um, <clears throat> and of course, I'm from getting ahead of what y'all want to talk about. But when we got to the runoff, some of the support from those other candidates came behind Mr. Bailey, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> John Krangle, who was in the race, is a longtime ethics watchdog <laughs> supporter. Heather Bauer <laughs> supported Mr. Bailey. Yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, did Dietrich or Matthew back anyone? I don't. I don't remember her. No. I don't remember her publicly backing. She did anyone. not publicly come out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so yeah, and, and and others, you know, in the community, such as if I remember correctly, uh, Sam Davis and some mm-hmm. folks like that came behind Tyler. Ultimately, though, wasn't enough, as we know, as I think Miss Bustles won by some six or seven points. And I want to ask this and. I feel like I can say this as, you know, like her, an Indian woman who, you know, is newer to Colombia. And I think a lot was, you know, a lot was made about her ability to kind of um, garner um, bipartisan support. That's right. Again, this is a nonpartisan race, but, you know, it's always. No, it's there. I mean, look, I mean, (laughs) look, I mean, you know, in her race, she was advised I'm getting deep weeds for people, but yeah, in her race, she was she was advised by both Tig Watts, a long, well-known sort of Democratic uh, uh, consultant, and also Martin Noop, a long-time Republican consultant. They both mm-hmm. helped at certain points. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's rare, <laughs> and so that probably goes beyond what you were wanting to say. But like, no, no it's exactly I what yeah. I want to talk about, and I think that she is able to. Okay. Consult, getting consultation from Republicans and and Democrats yep. aside, or mm-hmm. like you know, part of it is that that's that was her conscious choice right. to kind of play the you know the sure. bipartisan field. And I think in a city like Colombia, she's only able to do that because she's Indian and right. because she's not, more particularly because she's not black, mm. right? I mean, obviously we have black Republicans. You know, if we just look at our national senate or whatever right but um but i think in the city of and and i think and it's gonna you know lead into what our you know what we talk about our mayoral election like what does like a this city is so deeply deeply segregated Mm. that you know no black candidates won that you know from those two runoff races and i think that that's you know a demonstration of how deeply segregated we are and i think you know when the choice comes down to Oddity Bustles, who I I like, you know, I want to say I I like her not because she's Indian. Like, I think she's very smart and I like her uh, call to put data first. And I like I just love seeing non-lawyers on (laughs) council. Let me just say that. Right. But I think her the only reason uh, she not the only reason, but what helped her win is that she's not black. And that is that is really upsetting. Whatever um, strategy. Mm-hmm. Her campaign had was effective mm-hmm. in that she, in the runoff election she received more votes than anybody. Mm-hmm. She she received more votes than any either of the mayoral candidates. She she received the most votes of anybody in the city that night. <laughs> and um, I know that. Yeah, look, I mean there were back channel talks, not published things, but back channel talks. You know, is, is she Democrat enough? Right. You know. Um, yeah kind of arguments that were going on, going on amongst local Dems. Um, <clears throat> ultimately, this is a nonpartisan position. She ran it as such, unlike the mayor's race, which became extraordinarily partisan. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I, we'll get to that in a moment. But 
But yes, um, I definitely think that the strategy she used uh, was was wise, even though Mr. Bailey did run a very yeah. hard campaign. I guess what I'm saying is the reason she could run that strategy is because she's not black and because she's not white. Mm. Like, I think that's, you know, like she played what she played to her advantage. And I mean, I'm not saying she shouldn't have done it, but I'm pointing out that I think her ability to do it had to do with race. I mean, I don't think race decided the election, right. but how she decided to play it, you know, had to do, I mean, everything has to do with race in my opinion. Mm. I think that's obvious to our listeners, but yeah. My question is more towards money mm-hmm. and, um, and and just kind of city influence or city um, pockets. So it's interesting because I felt like there was this kind of not necessarily a rise and fall of at-large candidates. And we don't necessarily get polling data along the way throughout these municipal sure. races to really know. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it did feel like. Tyler Bailey was not necessarily the household name at the beginning of right. this election. Right. Most people had at least heard of Heather Bauer from a statewide race. Sure. They had, um, you know, Oddity had kind of, I don't think a following. I mean, she's definitely not a political name. No, but first she, time running, she, but she, she had, had. She had built up. Through, she had she built, built through, that, some, through yeah. some activism, through exactly. her work as a public health researcher. She had already done things like as a writer and, uh, and, yeah, yeah. and political things with yeah. the party. And so. But there was kind of this ebb and flow, I felt like, of all the at-large candidates. And I, you touched on it earlier. I really thought for a time there that Dietrich Stover Matthews might be the third-place candidate yeah. as opposed to Heather. And yeah. I thought maybe between Heather and Dietra, we might see a difference in who that second candidate was in the runoff. Right, correct. So it does get disheartening sometimes, I think, for folks to already feel like there's too much money in politics, mm-hmm. people who already feel like their vote— quote, doesn't matter, and then you look at a race that is at a municipal level like this, and you go, well, yet again, the top two candidates and the winner raise the most money. And we saw the same thing in the mayoral race. So how do you feel like money played an impact in these races? And and, and also, can you speak a little bit to Oddity and Tyler where their their impacts came from those social circles and community circles that they had. Because I'll be really honest, I thought that the African-American church would play a much heavier role in Tyler Bailey winning the runoff. Mm. I'm sure they had a huge impact in voting, but it clearly didn't pan out in his favor. It didn't. Uh, and I, you know, now this is up until the last reporting before the election, you know, but right. there, there's a couple weeks there where they can raise even more money, you know, mm-hmm. so we, we'll later learn what people raise. But you specifically talking about the race, uh, at-large race, you, Mr. Bailey raised $104,000 uh, up until the last reporting. Uh, that was the most in the race. Yeah. Uh, Miss Bustles raised just short of $100,000, and Miss uh, Stover Matthews raised about $75,000. Um you know, as I reported in, first of all, to be clear, uh, each of the top earners in that race had diverse support, okay? So it's not like just one type of person was donating here, but another type of person was donating mm-hmm. there, okay? So, but there's, there's no doubt that, that uh, Oddity received support from, from, from business types. Uh, Tom Pryoreshi, for instance, uh, you know, uh, a downtown developer, I remember made a donation. The Middleton family is mm-hmm. who sh- has made a, a number of donations you know, of the of the, the Middleton family of the Main Street businesses that many people are aware of. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, they, they they definitely have done a lot on the moving up North Maine. They keep moving up breweries. They, they they they've made a march up Maine, no doubt. And um, you know, uh, Sarah Middleton uh, of the family almost won a seat on city council a few uh-huh. years ago. So she had some of those um, uh, type of donations um, from those business types. But again, I want to be clear that all all types of people donated. Um, you know, just a quick look at Tyler's. Um, Donors were people like Senator Daryl Jackson, uh, former Mayor Bob Coble, um, donated to him, as did uh, Bakari Sellers, the former state representative and, and longtime CNN analyst and lawyer that many people know in Columbia. Um, so, yeah, you, you, had, you, had, you had factions, you know, donating um, to, to, to each person. I mean, yeah, mon- money, yeah money makes a difference. Okay, Daniel Rickman raised a ton of money, you know, nearly half a million dollars that we knew of before the election. And I'm sure from the last uh, reporting in uh, October through the runoff, I'm sure he raised six figures more. Uh, you know, Miss Devine had raised 300000 plus up to that last reporting. And I saw her after, you know, between the runoff and the, and the, and the, and the general tweet out or send out an email saying, hey, we've raised 100000 in the last week, so we know she raised at least 100000 more. Yeah. Um, Daniel Rickman was on television every commercial break. Mm-hmm. If you watch WIS, WLTX, things like that. If you watch CNN. Yeah. I saw him on what, CNN. The Gamecock football game. Uh-huh. Yeah. When the Gamecock, when the Gamecock football game was on, oh, yeah. every commercial break. Oh, there's yeah. him and there's him and, and Dr. Rickman and their dog sitting on that porch. <laughs> With those pumpkins stacked up, to talking about the race, and um, you know, <laughs> that's true. You know, you know, is, yeah. um, and so, yes, money played a factor in this race, and not even to include the parties getting involved. You know, the mm-hmm. the the, G, the state GOP filled up mailboxes with mailers in, in favor of Mr. Rickman. Uh, later, uh, the local and state Democratic Party got involved and got behind Mr. Devine. Each of those parties are then supporting there but attacking the other mm-hmm. uh you know the, in the last it's amazing because daniel rickman came within a hair's breadth of winning on the first night yeah you know and and we wouldn't have seen a lot of what we did see because in the next two weeks then two weeks between november 2nd mm-hmm. and november 16th the knives came out yes and um they really came out and that was interesting to me in a lot of ways one of which is and somebody will probably fuss at me but you know daniel rickman and tamika divine are political opposites, you know. Now this is nonpartisan, but we we all know Daniel's a Republican. We all know that Tamika's a strong Democrat, and they're political opposites. However, for some twenty years, they have been good friends. Yeah, and uh, would team up on council to get things through and to fight things and and, and push back on things together. Um, so to see that friendship hold for as long as it did. And then uh, we have a political brawl the last two weeks. Um, it's disappointing. It is. And, 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 and I, I have no insight into what their relationship is now. I'm, I'm, look, I mean, I'm sure that they'll shore things up. But, you know, they, they, were, they were, despite being political opposites, they have been council allies yeah. and friends. And, and they're just, open about that. Yes. Yeah. Tamika, yeah. Tamika talked about that on the podcast, you know, that and she we, and Daniel have been friends and I was outside even, of council, too. And, you know, look, I mean, even a comment that Tamika had made in a 2012 newspaper story about Daniel, in which she praised him, you know, uh, was <laughs> t- 
taken up and thrown in, her, basically thrown in her face in this race. Mm-hmm. Like it, it was an ad. Some I can't remember exactly what it was, but there was an ad that said, "Look, even Tamika Devine thinks that Daniel Rickman's a good." Uh, mm-hmm. It was a smart. Uh, it was a smart little political. It was jab. a mailer. Yeah, yeah. I remember. Yeah. I I hear what you're saying, and I I, I mean, look, I I think it's valid, and I hate to always say this, but having run myself, yeah. And not placing an emphasis on fundraising from the beginning, um, I recognize the importance. I mean, I, I pulled thousands of dollars out of my savings account to cover those last minute mailers, yeah. Because um, you you just got to do it, and yeah. the expenses of of si- people don't realize how much those silly signs and those stakes in the ground cost. <laughs> I mean, all everything to campaign is so expensive, and that's not even talking about radio and TV ads, which sure. gets most expensive. So, all that to say. I understand that money is just part of the process. Yeah. That in modern day campaigning, if you want to keep up and be relevant, you've got to have money. But I think we're coming to this place in our society where people are so fed up with yeah. the political process, right. and they feel like money's part of the problem. And I think it, it was interesting to see how much money did play a role in this local election. And I just want to backtrack real quick because you're giving a great segue into the mayor's conversation. Yeah, but I did just want to touch on it again that conversation of money but then i don't know if disheartened is the right word but just a little bit i thought there would be more of a community feel more of a community touch where it was like money doesn't matter as much when you see a tyler bailey whose parents have such an incredible church and they're so active in the community and wouldn't that touch have made a difference or oddity who is a public health researcher and she's out in the community wouldn't that have been enough and it just felt, especially in the last two weeks of the runoff, it yeah. just felt like that same icky politics. You know, the thing about that race is a lot of what I think you're referencing in the at-large race kind of went on behind the scenes. Um, yeah. there, there, there wasn't as much public uh, stabbing as in the mayor's race, you know. Um, you know, Mr. Bailey, again, he, he raised the most money. Um Though Miss Miss Bustles was close behind, obviously, um, they did. For a long time, there was a community feel to the races. That all the candidates did a lot of forums this year, yeah. a lot of forums, um, and uh, some of them were very informative, and and there was a collegiality to it. But yeah, perhaps in the last couple weeks, especially behind the scenes. Uh, there was a lot of riffraff mm-hmm. going back and forth, you know. Um, ultimately, though, I, from the beginning of the race, once we got our field, I felt like Tyler, Bailey, and Oddity Bustles would be one and two, and they were. I didn't know how it was going to turn out from there, but obviously we now see how it turned out. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I answered your question, but, I mean, it's just, uh, you know. I, I didn't think that the at-large race was as caustic as the mayor's race. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wish in these municipal elections that are nonpartisan, in a city the size of Columbia, we were more community oriented as opposed to the to the financially (laughs) driven. But I guess I live in a utopia in my head. You're so wholesome. Christian wholesome boy. I want to go back to the mayoral election. Before we talk about the runoff, just talk about the general a bit, Um, because there were two other candidates. So I want to ask you, including one very competitive. Other candidate, yeah, yeah Mr. Mr. Like Jones. S- Sam came like super close to, and that's kind of what I wanted to ask. Like, 
What would it have looked like if Sam wasn't in the race? I mean, that's a weird thing to ask, but um, I think, you know, recently from the state's analysis of um, the precincts and the vote count that a lot of, I mean, the analysis showed that all of Sam's votes went to Tamika, right? Um, would, I like how you're nodding. I, I mean, I, that's what they kind of, that's what the article said. But anyways, you know, and Sam's saying it's not about race. And if it was or it wasn't, what would it, the, the playing field had looked like if Sam wasn't there? Would we even have gone to a runoff? Um, and then also, like, why does Mo keep running? I'll touch, <laughs> well, I'll touch on that right quick. I, I, I wasn't. I'm not sure why Mo got in the race, how he did when he did. He came yeah. in. He came yeah. in on the last day of filing, right. when the other candidates had all raised six figures already. Yeah. Uh, you know, Mo uh, had a messy end to his two terms on council. Nevertheless, he's a two-time elected Columbia City Councilman. Uh, who, I, I just thought it was mysterious to me why why he got involved when he did, how he did. Um, I agree. So I'm not sure. Where we see Mr. Madura again politically, but next time, if there is a next time, I would assume he would maybe get in a little earlier and start trying to right. build a coalition. <laughs> um, you know, the thing about, <clears throat> yes, n there's no doubt that an analysis shows us that Mr. Rickman's was particularly strong in the southeast uh, side of the city that is a wider, a wider side of the city. Can you clarify for listeners southeast? Let me just say this. There's no doubt Mr. Rickman performed uh, particularly strong in uh, <clears throat> areas of Columbia, the one where his district is. Actually, I would call it almost, it's definitely in the east side of Columbia, whether it be at, uh, the voting precinct at South uh, Kilburn Park uh, Baptist Church, for instance, holds Ward 25 and Ward 24 on Election Day. It was really strong there. Um, you know, he did well, honestly, in Shandon and uh, Rosewood and places on that side of town. Uh, Miss Devine was much, much stronger in North Columbia, which is a largely African-American area of Columbia. You know, for, you know her, some of her most dominant precincts were like in Greenview and some of those traditional black neighborhoods like that. Um, <clears throat> though, you know, she didn't get as many votes in those precincts as Daniel got in his strongest precincts. Um, <clears throat> the turnout just wasn't wasn't there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as to the idea that she just got all Sam's votes, I'm not I'm not I'm not all I'm not sold on that because <laughs> Sam That's fair. Uh, <clears throat> I think she definitely got some of Mr. Johnson's vote. There's no question about that. Yeah. Uh, but I also think Mr. Johnson, some of his voters stayed home. Um, I think that there were some supporters. Uh, this might get me in trouble, but I, I do. I do think there's some there some white liberals uh, who did not get behind Miss Devine in the way they got behind Mister Johnson. Um, I can I, see that. I obviously I don't have I don't have a, a paper with who voted for who on it. Right. But I'm just going by who supported Mister Johnson strong in the general who then didn't turn and endorse mm -hmm. Mrs. Devine in the uh, runoff. Yeah. <clears throat> All this said, Rickman wins by four points. I mean, it was a very close race. Um, <laughs> you know, 
as strong as Daniel Rickman was in, in his best precincts, Miss Devine's support was a little more spread out, if you will. And, gosh, you know, she was leading all night long as the vote tallies were coming in. Yeah. And But I, but I, I knew which precincts were coming, though. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. we, we, as we're sitting there in, in, in Richland County, you, you know which precincts are coming. And yeah. I'm like, whoop, they'll, his strongholds were going to come at the end. And uh, and they did, and he won, and he won the day. You know, um, this you didn't ask this, but I mean, I thought politically, uh, I'm not speaking rights, wrongs, whatever. Who feels what? I thought Daniel Rickman's campaign, I thought he ran a really strong campaign on on, on their issues, if you will. Uh, they raised a bunch of money. They were on TV or in your mailbox. Um, you know, he was at every luncheon, uh, as as was Miss Devine and Mr. Johnson. But they ran hard and smart. Um, you may not like it, but they found their base mm-hmm. yeah, and turned did. them and turned them out. Yeah. Yes. I, just one word about running the campaign, and I know Dylan and I had talked about this in the middle there of the campaign when there was just this onslaught of forums and and I laugh because I organized a forum but I will yeah. say it was the second one so and I've, uh, everyone I've, came out I've, uh, yeah, I, I I moderated one or two yeah. I can't remember how many now but yeah and so um you know Daniel didn't come out to you know yeah. the the middle ones yeah. you know he wasn't coming out and and it was Tamika was sitting here when he texted her about one of the forums that he said he wouldn't come to and that he decided that he was going to come to because yeah. he realized, yeah. you know, so there's there's a way that he ran his campaign that wasn't, like he took a vacation in the middle of the campaign, which to me is also like. Or I think he did. He did. No, he definitely no, he did. did. He yeah. told us he did. Um, <laughs> and, you know, so there's, I, I, I want to say this. I think women women of color people of color have to just work so much harder to get to the same place that white men already are at and you know and i'm not saying that that's what it is but if we are talking about turnout then we know that border suppression exists and we know that black residents it's harder for black residents to turn out right so kind of those two ideas are coming in my head when we're talking about the campaign and when we're talking about turnout well, I will say this: that there were, there's no doubt uh, what you're talking about. There were, there were some, there were some uh, forums early on uh, that Mr. Rickenman missed. In fact, he missed one televised one on WLTX. Yeah. And uh, hey, wait, but, but, he but, missed the first one, the the one that um, the empower the empower did. Yeah. He did. Oh, yeah. He did miss that one. I, and I will say, the online one. But gosh, that I mean, that was so early. In, in in this race that in you know in, in dog years as they say that was that was that that, 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 that was eons ago you know yeah. what I mean? Um, no, it was definitely. Yeah, I think it was in, in, back in the spring. Uh, I think he was missing some forums uh, at, at times, but I mean after a while as it got as as things got closer and, and moved on, I mean he was he was at he was at most of them mm-hmm. that I that I attended and was part okay. of. Um, you know I. Yes, you, you, I think you're right that um, there is a lot of work that has to go into it for women, women of color, um, to win um, something like a citywide seat in Columbia. Um, <clears throat> now, 
as to whether there was any suppression that I, that I do not know and just and can't comment on you know in an, from an educated standpoint whether there was any active suppression in this race. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess maybe just to clear like systemic suppression. Okay. Like that's what I'm not saying that anyone was like ballot stuffing or mm-hmm. turning people away, but I mean like just systemically, yeah. it's harder for Black folks to vote. Um, that's that's generally accurate mm-hmm. um, for a lot of reasons that we've been trying to, we the big we have been trying to get our hands around for a long time mm-hmm. um, and so <clears throat> yes that, that 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 is there um, man there's a lot about this race I mean <laughs> tell you know, us, tell you, us all. You know I mean <clears throat> Mayor Benjamin endorsed Sam Johnson in the mm-hmm. race uh, some were surprised by that because he and Miss Divine are longtime friends and, um, you know, have family family ties, if you will, I believe. Uh, He's the godmother of one of his kids. There you go. I couldn't write. Yeah. Godmother of one of his kids. And um, I, I had written that and was about to pull out a paper to make sure I'd... <laughs> uh, it was... It was in your article that I read that. Yeah, yeah, correct. <laughs> we are we're right here. We're Chris Trainer. Yeah, no, yeah, we're Chris Trainer fans. <laughs> but you know, he he endorsed uh, Sam, but that's understandable too. That was his chief yeah. of staff for some six years. Um, after the November the second results, of course, Mayor Benjamin endorsed D- Miss Divine for the runoff, as did Mister Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if 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 I don't know how people took that after. He had he had endorsed Sam. Yeah. Okay. Well, then this comes. Well, now I endorse Tamika. Uh, I'm not discounting the runoff endorsement from Mayor Benjamin, but would it, would it, would it have been different if it was just if the race was just between Miss Divine and Mister Rickman from the beginning, mm-hmm. and and Mayor Benjamin and his machine that he can crank up was behind Tamika the whole time actively, uh, yeah. or or frankly. If it had been Mr. Johnson versus uh, mm-hmm. Mr. Rickman, in fact, Mr. Johnson is probably more tied into the sort of not probably he is the business world, yeah. if you will. Mm-hmm. That you know, like Mr. Rickman, he he, you know, he probably would have stole a few votes from Daniel Rickman because of that world that Sam walks in as an economic development consultant. Mm-hmm. So um, for Nixon Pruitt, so it it might it might have been. There, there's an element of what might have been if this had been a one-on-one race. Not to discount, we actually had Mr. Bader in the race who got like 5% or whatever it was the first yeah. time. You know, Mr. Rickenman may be even thinking, gosh, if Mo Bader is not right. in this from the beginning, he might have I, get might. His, I get his 3 or 4%, mm-hmm. and then I get really close to 50% that mm-hmm. first night. Um, oh, true. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because Mr. Bader is generally a conservative, yeah. you know, can't, person. So, um yeah, there was there was there was there was a lot happening in this race um, all the way through. So let's talk the runoff, and then we'll let you go because we've kept you. No, no. Um, what happened? I mean, <laughs> for lack of better words, I mean we we hit the runoff like you said earlier. We hit the runoff, and the knives came out. Right. Was it just such a um, a a desire to win that each candidate was just willing to do literally whatever it took. Um, or do you feel like this was kind of, it was kind of brewing already and it was just kind of the spillover because we had two more weeks. I think it's a combination of what you just said. 
I don't think that either, I don't believe that either Daniel Rickman or Tamika Isaac Divine were personally yeah. a win at all costs yeah. person, you know. But by the time you got there, okay, machines are rolling. Mm-hmm. You know, the, 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 the state Democratic, uh, state Republican Party, excuse me, is. And, and other operatives are heavy behind Mr. Rickman at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, they're mailers coming from third parties. Yeah. You know, uh, the Democratic Party, local and state, gets in and, you know, starts sending emails and other missives, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. attacking Mr. Rickman. I just think that they both desperately wanted to win, no doubt, uh, but that there were elements surrounding each of them by the time we got to the runoff, that decided we're going to win, you know, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> and went hard at each other there. Um, was it already brewing? Probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess when, you, when you're talking about attacking, when you're talking about getting a little negative, if you will, uh, I guess you have to decide when you want to deploy that, right? And... I don't know whether the sides thought uh, we can wait till we, you know, we're going to be in a runoff, so let's save that ammo for then. Mm-hmm. You know, but to be clear, I mean, third parties were attacking Miss Divine before the November the second yeah. on past uh, past ethics uh, things. Um, so that was that was already out there, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. um, and I just think. It built to a crescendo, and I think once you get into a runoff, the Republicans had been hitting hard, and the Democrats decided, okay, well, it's time to swing back hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we got. I mean, you know, there were <sighs> calls from Rickman's side uh, uh, calling into question voter turnout efforts amongst the housing authority, uh, which – Chairman there at the Housing Authority tried to put on an extraordinarily aggressive uh, turnout campaign, and, and Rickman called him out on it, right? And then the USC and NAACP called out uh, Daniel Rickman for appearing in a photo in front of a Confederate flag uh, some 30 years ago uh, and for not engaging black students on USC's campus in the same way that he had a lot of the white students with his five points campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, these, these were... Um, these were body blows that were going back and forth between between these <laughs> sides. I'm not going to say campaigns because, like, yeah. some, some yeah. of this stuff was coming from uh, adjacent sources, you yeah. know. But it was um, it was uh, it was a harrowing finish to the to the race, frankly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, for such a small population, not we haven't even hit two hundred thousand in this city, and tw- and, and only twenty percent of those turned roughly twenty two percent turned out to vote. Yeah. I mean, it was. And I mean Barack Obama endorsing. Correct. To me, Barack- it's like it just it got a it bit got insane, a bit you know. And I by that was amazing. <laughs> it was. You know, it was a mayor's race in a town that, granted, is our capital city, but has mm-hmm. a population of one hundred thirty-five thousand. The two-time elected president of the United States <laughs> and the only African American president in our yeah. nation's history. It's funny. endorsed on the eve of the mayor's election here it's crazy though um i love it i love it but i also and i I wonder what would have happened again 
if that en- what what if that endorsement came so late? Yeah. Uh, I, I wondered. Well, what if that had come out? Yeah. A week earlier. Yeah. Even a week earlier. You know. Um, I mean, there's no. I mean, I want to talk a bit about this Barack Obama uh, endorsement. Like, there's no national consequence. Like, no. So then, what was his kind of? Yeah. So what was his? Like, I I totally understand Jamie Harrison. You know, might have helped. I, I have no idea. I'm, I'm guessing, I'm, I'm speaking from an uneducated place, but I'm guessing that Mr. Harrison probably played a hand in helping yeah. get that, you know, even though uh, Ms. Devine had supported Barack Obama back way back in 08. Oh, yeah. And, you know, they've met each other and had their photos taken together. I mean, you know, they, I mean, I guess they're, they're known, small known quantities in each other's universes. Right. <laughs> um, but surely some very, I'm, so, I'm sure some extraordinarily serious calls were made to get him to cut that, what oh, was a robocall? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, it, again, what it, a race! <laughs> it, it came, you know, in Richland County. I don't know about the city level, but Richland County heavily went for Joe Biden in the last, mm-hmm. oh yeah, presidential election. Oh, yeah. You know, and so to see just a year later, um, a Republican mayor get elected. Granted, it's nonpartisan, but we, you know, again, I, I have to put that that put that yeah, in there. Yeah. But is in, incredible. I mean, uh, and I, I wish I was enough of a political scientist to be able to say exactly why that is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I, and I'm not, yeah. ex- except to say that again, Rickman identified who he thought would vote for him, and he, he turned them out. So I guess let's end it here. Um, we could, again, talk to you for hours. Yeah. And I think we could, own, because it's Chris Trainer and because of your background and because you were heavily covering this the whole time, yeah. but also just because there are so many, right? Like we could take the mayor's race and just focus on that for sure, a while. Sure, sure, there was yeah. so much that happened here. So I, I my ending question, and, and I hate to kind of put you on the spot, but... <laughs> Where do we go from here in your head? I, I have my thoughts, and I and I want to put this out there candidly. No, go ahead. That you know everything that you just said. These conversations that we're having about how um, you know the NAACP put out the statement for, or the students on campus put out the statement, yes. and and that led to a conversation about not engaging students of color like white students. Sure, a very valid argument. Right. The, the argument came up where. Should the housing authority have been allocating resources to voter turnout? Right. But at the same time, you were sending party buses to Greek Village at USC, sure. which is predominantly white. So sure. we did find ourselves in this place, though, that became Republican-Democrat. Yeah. The, the Republican Party was was advocating. The Democratic Party was advocating. There were students of color and, and white students. Like You yeah. cannot deny that. I don't want to get into the weeds of the conversations surrounding race and segregation and voter suppression and all those things that could be true. But at the end of the day, we have a new mayor, and his name is Daniel Rickman. We have two new representatives, or three new representatives on council. Where do we go from here? Because to get to the place of those people being elected, there was a lot of division. There was a lot of back and forth between one side and the other. Does this leave us in a place that we have more repair to do spiritually, if you will, if we have more mending to do as a community before we can even get the work done with these new elected officials? Have we further divided? 
I mean, I think that the election results and the nature of how we got there would probably say yes. You know, was this election part of a national moment, if you will? Um, maybe a little. Um, I wish I could tell you a great answer, because, but it's tough to say because so much of this council is changing over. Mm-hmm. I can only tell you what I know about Daniel Rickman from years of covering him. His reputation at City Hall is not one of a, of a wildly partisan person. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've known Daniel as a, as a Republican conservative for a while, but I've always known him uh, up until this moment as a centrist. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when parties get involved in a nonpartisan race, people tend to get shoved to the right or to the left, to the red or the blue, and I think that happened in the race. The question is whether he can foster unity now on this new council. Um, And that's going to be key. Also, I think that with his ascension to mayor and Joe Taylor, uh, developer Joe Taylor's uh, election in District 4, I think you will see... A council, not that the current council and the current mayor haven't done a lot for business, but they have. But I think you'll see a business forward kind of vibe mm-hmm. um, there, and you may not see the same type of social pushes you saw at times under Mayor Benjamin. Um, <clears throat> now, any council member can bring an issue forward and bring it to the, and, and get it to the agenda. Okay, so, so don't get me wrong. I mean, if a Democrat like uh, <clears throat> Ed McDowell wants to get an issue forward. He can do that. Okay, so so don't so don't think that. But the mayor is the leader. Mm-hmm. So um, I'll be interested to see if when important social issues come up, uh, Mayor Rickman, will, Mayor Elect Rickman, will be able to harness uh, some of the same vibe that Mayor Benjamin did, or whether he or whether he even wants to. Um, I'm not hopeless, though, that there can be uh, a healing um, amongst the council, but you know, only time is going to tell that. And there, and there are new, and there are new council. So, um, I think that's that's possible. Uh, we we just don't. And 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 Mr. Rickman has, has paid lip service to wanting to reach out to communities, to having Senator Daryl Jackson help put a community committee together with him um, to <clears throat> bridging some of those gaps that may have come to exist during the campaign season. Um, but I, there's no doubt it was a divided election. So there's work to do. Thank you. That's a great place to end. Uh, we really, really would like to thank you for taking the time to come join us. We're really going to miss you on the city beat. Well, well, I'm still, like, I'm still around. I mean, I'm still around. <laughs> I think the first thing he told us was like, "I've changed beats, but I'm not dead." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm covering retail and business and things in the city, and, I, and no doubt we'll come across uh, other issues. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we'll, well, we'll look out for you. 
And you have been a gem well, to the you. city when it comes to political reporting. Most well, so definitely. Thank you. I know I'm, I'm biased and I say that, but, <laughs> but, but again, we, we appreciate you as no. a city, and thank you so much for being here today. And I appreciate we love it. your Twitter. Well, thank you. <laughs> At Chris Trainer SC on Twitter. Yes. Trainer with an OR. All right, y'all. It's time now for our community listings, our last community listings for 2021. So what is going around in this fine city in the month of December? I hope nothing's going around. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> right. We want nothing more going no, around. No Omicron. No o- Omicron. 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 Whatever it's called. Whatever. Get out. Stay out. <laughs> The Columbia Museum of Art presents Art Break, Black Male Studies and Contemporary Black Art as part of the 30 Americans exhibit. Dr. Sulgi Lee, U of SC Assistant Professor of African American Studies, presents connections between the nascent field of Black Male Studies and several of the pieces in 30 Americans, including works by Berkeley L. Hendricks, Rashid Johnson, Henry Taylor, Hank Willis, Thomas, and Kehandi Whaley. Carolina Lights is back at the South Carolina State Fairgrounds from December 4th to December 26th. Come experience Columbia's downtown drive through light show. Uh, details can be found at carolinalightssc.com. Friday, December 10th, experience Elf in the Park. That's a free film screening of Elf at Doco Meadows Park in Blythewood. Show starts at 630 and bring non-perishable food donations for the Christian Assistance Bridge. The Greater Casey West Columbia Chamber and Visitors Program presents the Holiday Parade of Lights on December 11th at 5.30. The parade begins promptly at 5.30 p.m. in front of the Casey Municipal Complex located at 1800 12th Street and will proceed down 12th Street, ending at the corner of Highway 1 and 12th Street in West Columbia. Crowds of over 20,000 have been estimated, so come grab a viewing spot early. The next installment of the Richland Library's Let's Talk Race series will take place at the Columbia Museum of Art on Tuesday, December 14th at 6.30 p.m. The event features discussions around works from the exhibition 30 Americans, a dynamic showcase of contemporary black art offering an intersectional series of varying perspectives that has helped fuel the drive to fill historical gaps in American museum collections. This event will be held at the CMA galleries and is free, but registration is required as space is limited, and you can register on the CMA or Richland Library websites. The South Carolina State Museum is offering 50% off general admission every Saturday until Christmas. Admission includes the chance to meet Santa and access to four floors of exhibition galleries. So check that out. Uh, You can get your tickets online at the State Museum website. And those are your community listings brought to you by Soda City Speaks for December. And that brings us to the end of 2021 for Soda City Speaks. Thank you for supporting us in this endeavor that Dylan Dylan and I, I think, just randomly talked about one day and it came to fruition. So thanks for following us. Thanks for supporting us. And uh, as always, Soda City Speaks is hosted and produced by myself, Ome Sama Rahim Tula, and... And Dylan Gunnels. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Follow us on all the socials at Soda City Speaks. Email us at sodacityspeaks at gmail.com. And our theme music, of course, brought to you by Preach Jacobs. Yeah, you can find him on all the socials at Preach Jacobs. Tune in next month or next year. And let Soda City speak to you.
sending the odor of petroleum wafting through a park and past a riverside observation deck. It's wafting, sorry. Wafting, what did I say? Wafting. <laughs> wafting. <laughs> English is my second language. <laughs> sending the odor of petroleum wafting through a park and Wafting. Oh, for fuck's sakes, wafting. <laughs> Wafting. Got it. Okay. Waft. Red. Sending an odor of petroleum wafting through a... Is is wafting. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Like wafered. Okay. The restaurant chaininess map has come out made by the lab... Damn it. Good thing this isn't live. Yeah. Right. We would <laughs> Carolina Lights is back at the South Carolina State Fault. Far grounds. The far grounds. It's so far away. Come on out to the far grounds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is going to be a fun blooper reel. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know what I'm going to include in the blooper reel? Blooper reel? Blooper reel? It's the blooper glare. You're, uh, the first one we did where you burped because we were drinking. <laughs> You know what? I thought the I'll first time. That. That's funny. I thought the first time we did this, it was fun because we were drinking. No, it's, it's just, just that we're fun. fun. We're fun. Yeah, together. we're fun people. We're fun people. Thanks for tuning in to Soda City Speaks. We have plenty of exciting episodes coming up, including interviews with all the candidates. <laughs> that is so embarrassing. I couldn't stop it. The Greater Casey West Columbia Chamber and Visitors Program. Why do people have to be so official? That is so much. It's too much. Yeah, You're doing, you? too much. <laughs> doing too much. Did you get that from Gen Z Explains? Yes. <laughs> You're doing too much. You're not doing enough. <laughs> it's some song that Lita listens to. I don't know.